Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything to get you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you want to be part of the program, you're always welcome to call the listener hotline. That number 303-832-0217, toll free on all cell phones. Uh, you can just uh, call that number, leave your message, and uh, and boom, uh, if it's good enough, I'll, I'll put you here on the show. Today on the show, by the way, I'm going to be visiting with someone we've had on the show, oh, it was about five months or so ago, that we had Doug Milnes on the show. Doug is the head of marketing and communications as well as data analytics at moneygeek.com, and we're talking about this question. Will it take technology in our cars to save us from being distracted by the technology that we're ha- using inside our cars. <laughs> Basically, can self-driving and uh, other safety features in a car save us from being so distracted by our phones that it will save our lives? Uh, they have the results of a new survey about distracted driving, how prevalent it is, how uh, deadly it is, and if it will take self-driving technology to really save us from ourselves. Uh, it'll be a good conversation. I'll have that uh, with Doug coming up in just a bit as soon as I uh, hook him up here on the uh, on the phone call. Uh, I think I'll do a Zoom uh, with uh, with Doug, so maybe I can use some of this for uh, for a TV story. But first, is it time to take rest stops that are on interstates and make them better? Did you know that only 5% of all interstate highway rest areas actually offer any kind of a full service like uh, food or fuel or parking, uh, vehicle charging stations for electric cars, and and they are all on toll roads. The other 95% of interstate highway rest stops, they're all prohibited by federal law to have any commercial services except a vending machine. And whenever you stop, they usually just have a bathroom they have some of those informational flyers about what's around there. If you want to go to, uh, you know, cave hunting or you want to go whitewater rafting or whatever the local fair is uh, around that area when you stop at the rest stop. But usually it's just a get out, walk your, uh, walk your dog, stretch your legs, go to the bathroom, that sort of thing uh, at these rest stops. But is it time now to make that federal ban go away? Is it time to repeal it? Because first, with all the automakers going electric, the interstates need to be equipped with electric vehicle charging stations since that's the way the nation's auto manufacturers are going. It's going to be all electric eventually. And we're looking for places to start putting in more electric stations, right? Because all electric cars are going to need more. You're going to need more of these charging stations. You can't uh, just pull over to a gas station take your five minutes, fill it up, and then boom, you're on the road again. It that It's not going to be that simple anymore. Uh, it, that's why I love my Chevy Volt, because it's an electric car. However, it has the gasoline generator in it, so I could fill it up with gasoline and just keep driving it across the country and just keep filling it up with gas uh, and not have to stop at a charging station necessarily. I saw it reminds me I saw a video lately of uh, somebody in a Tesla who uh, ran out of charge but they had a gasoline generator in the trunk 
and they took the gasoline generator out and then uh, started it up and then made enough electricity to charge the Tesla to get to some kind of a charging station. So basically, they were doing in the Tesla what I already have in my Chevy Volt. That's why it's such a great car. You don't have to use the uh, gas if you never want to, and you you can always charge it up. Uh, but you always have you don't have range anxiety uh, because you're waiting for a spot to get a charge. That's going to be a huge issue over the next ten to twenty to twenty five years. Is the infrastructure of uh, charging stations in cities and in rural areas between cities. Um, it's, it's going to be a big, big deal over the next, yeah, 25 years at least. Um, and it, cause it takes so much longer to charge up a car. So you're going to need places just to hang out. You're not just going to sit in your car for, uh, uh, 45 minutes or an hour and a half. You, you, you want a coffee shop or a, or a truck stop or something. You can grab a bite to eat or just relax or, or whatever. Uh, secondly, the reason to, uh, uh get rid of the ban on, on full service rest stops our long-distance truck drivers, we've talked about this here on the show, they have been facing major shortages of safe overnight parking places for a long, long time, especially parking places that have uh, services like food and showers. And then third, state departments of transportation, they're, they're really low on money. A lot of them are trying to figure out how they're going to actually get more funding. Well, as part of this, because these rest stops take some money, state money, to keep running because they have to have some maintenance, they're planning on shutting some of these interstate rest areas down that don't have any available sources of revenue, more than just a vending machine, because the vending machines aren't cutting it. They're not getting enough money from selling enough Cheetos and Doritos and Little Debbies. Uh, so... <laughs> You need more than just a vending machine where you're going to get one of those Lipton iced teas. Now, the commercial services ban at rest stops, it was added by Congress back in 1960. It's been in place for 60 years. What they were trying to do back then was protect small town gas stations and small town restaurants and little towns that were on these major roadways not necessarily an interstate. So when the interstates came through, it basically bypassed all these small towns. And when traffic shifted from, let's say, Highway 66 to I-40, that traffic was not then going through these small towns, and they were driving on the interstate, just like the animated movie Cars. Remember that? The interstate took traffic and business away from Radiator Springs, Enter Lightning McQueen to save the day. Uh, but the rest stop ban also encouraged locals to then build new gas stations, fast food outlets, uh, other businesses, hotels, at or right near the off-ramps, right along the new interstate highway system. And so companies, big companies, Flying J and all the other big truck stops, uh, they started developing these large travel centers, TA Travel Center, Travel America, uh, within right, uh, either a few miles or right next to the interstates. And so that's another reason to keep that th this uh, ban on uh, interstate rest stops uh, being full service has been in place for the last 60 years. There is a trade association. It's called the National Association of Truck Stop Operators. And they have been lobbying hard for years and years against all efforts to repeal the ban. 
The problem with their argument, though, it ignores the today's need of travelers for more truck parking, for EV charging stations. And that's, uh, like like I said, going to be a bigger issue as we go forward over the next 25 years. And food and beverage options and th- that uh, are part of a 24-hour economy that we have now on our roadways. I mean, we're really, we have a 21st economy interstate network where we're, we're delivering so many things all the time. There are people and trucks and deliveries all the time now on the interstate network. And it's time that we needed more services, especially in some of the rural areas where there aren't a lot of services right now. Now, their argument, the National Association of Truck Stop Operators, would be more relevant in a, in a zero-sum world where, where every sale at a new service plaza killed a sale at an off-ramp. But today's and, and tomorrow's need for a large expansion of truck parking and electric vehicle charging and, and, and all these services that are needed, it's, 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 there's enough business to go around now. And another problem with expansion, at least in the current situation, is that the land right there near those off-ramps have be- has become very expensive, making new or expanded facilities unlikely because it just costs too much money to build to buy the land and build whatever, whatever uh, business you want to. And another factor is this plight, this is, this is really going to be the biggest issue, is, is, is EV drivers suffering from range anxiety. I, I don't suffer it because I, I have the Volt, but but uh, I talked to people who had a, a Chevy Bolt and, and uh, other electric cars and Teslas. Now, Teslas are, aren't quite as bad because they hold, especially for just tooling around uh, a city, they hold enough charge where it's not going to be an issue for a couple of days. But if you are wanting to travel uh, out of state and take a little bit of a road trip, it is an issue where you do have to plan out your route and where you're going to charge. And, and, and it is, it is a, a major uh, anxiety, I guess is the best word for it. It's just a major anxiety when you're going to run out of charge. Because it, it, even though it might tell you, let's say you have 100 miles left, it's not exactly 100 miles. It depends on your the, the temperature, how hard, how fast you're driving. If you're driving up hills, driving down hills, uh, changes in in uh, the stuff that you're using inside the car, all of that affects the range, and it could affect it by 10 or 15 miles that that you sh- that you see. So you might think, all right, I I can make that EV charging station in 75 miles, uh, and I have 85 here on my tank, but you might not make it. Um, or you just have to shut everything off and drive very gingerly to make sure you make it. That's part of the range anxiety issue. Uh, and if you have more of these charging stations, well, it alleviates a lot of that. And I think people will then feel more comfortable getting out and getting on the interstate and getting out and uh, doing more of these road trips. Um, because what well, you re- <laughs> and you know another thing, as I was thinking about it with my wife. Uh, I, I just can imagine if, let's say, we had a full EV car and she was out on a road trip with my girls, let's say a baton road trip, uh, and she needed to get off the interstate uh, to charge up, she's not going to want to get off some uh, at a dark area where it's in a strange place and hopes that she can find her way to some charging station. I mean, it should be in a nice, convenient spot, just like you would expect a gas station to be uh, well-lit, safe, that she could go to and just fill up and then make her way. Now, it would take some work to transform some of these 
interstate rest areas as they are now into a more full service center. And, and there would obviously have to be some kind of a public private partnership since it's uh, prior or I guess uh, state owned land uh, that would then have to be um, leased out to a business. So there, there, I mean, there's, there's lots of examples of public private partnerships to uh, make this happen. I mean, you really have seen uh, these, these, uh, these full service rest stops on uh, tollways, you know, up in the Northeast corridor and down in Florida uh, that's where I have seen them on the Florida Turnpike. Um, they're pretty neat. You just drive right up to it, and boom, you have all the services you could ever want because there's nothing really else out there on the Florida Turnpike. Uh, so it's really convenient to have that modern service as you're just driving along. It'll just take somebody bold in Congress to uh, come up with a plan to say, hey, we're going to try to repeal this ban and and uh, and go from there and try to expand it. We'll see how that happens. Uh, and speaking of electric cars and new technology, a couple episodes back, I talked about the, the crash involving a Tesla that killed two people. And neither of the two passengers, they say, were in the driver's seat, even though there's some debate about whether that is actually true, whether, whether there was somebody in the driver's seat and somebody uh, just another passenger. Um, but it was a fiery crash, and, and that investigation is still going on. But this crash and others involving Teslas bring to light the attitude of drivers about the safety of self-driving features. The website moneygeek.com conducted a survey that digs into the feeling of self-driving technology as well as how distracted we are by our technology. They asked how, this question, can technology save us from our technology? And I would like to know the answer to that. So I invited back to the program Doug Milnes. Doug is the head of marketing and communications at MoneyGeek.com. Doug is also head of data, data analytics for MoneyGeek.com. Thanks again, Doug, for coming back here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me today, Jason. All right. We're going to talk about the numbers in just a second and how distracted we are. And we're also going to tackle that question can technology save us from our technology? Because drivers are mentally and physical, uh, physically apparently unable to put down their phone. So when we talk about distractions, when we talk about distracted driving, we talk about all these distracted distractions, obviously the phone is high on the list, but what other major distractions are there besides the phone or, or is the phone the major thing? You know, today uh, the phone is one of the major uh, things that are distracting, but you know, things that you, we kind of might think are not distracting, you know, can and are, uh, you know, talking to other passengers in the car, particularly uh, if you're like me and trying to figure out why your kids are fighting in the backseat, um, you know, could be really distracting. Uh, or taking a look at your GPS navigation that's built into the, uh, the dashboard, changing your music. Uh, I don't personally do this, but other people, I know other people swear by eating uh, in the car. Uh, I can't do it personally, but eating and driving, ooh, uh, talking on the phone, and then obviously, you know, a couple of other phone-related things like texting or emailing folks, or even trying to browse an app and you know make your way to wherever you need to go on on your phone are your kind of major activities that are distracting. And and in fact, a lot of people uh, in our survey indicated that um, they're they're more aware of their phone. They do a little bit less of that. Uh, but they, uh, two thirds of drivers indicated that they eat in the car. Uh, 90% say that they, you know, pay attention to changing the music while they're driving. 
Um, and again, around 90% look at GPS navigation, which, which makes sense. We all want to get to where we're going. Um, and 95% say that they'll talk to other passengers while they're driving. Um, so there's a couple of norms here. You're, yeah, talking in a car, you said that 95% of people said that talking in a car was a major distraction for them. Are, are, we, are we just not able to concentrate on, on driving and have a conversation at the same time? It just that doesn't seem right that that would be so high on this list. Oh, well, so, so that is a uh, potential distracting dr- uh, driving. They've admitted to doing that behavior uh, in the car. Uh, but they haven't said that that is a major distraction for, for them. In fact, uh, 90% of drivers indicated that they are rarely or never distracted while they're driving. Uh, yet, uh, all of the behaviors and statistics we have about the, the behaviors they've admitted to uh, doing while driving are all potentially distracting or all distracting. I, I, I personally think that you cannot drive and not be distracted if you're looking at your phone. The people have to be lying on this survey. They just have to be. I mean, people naturally, they don't want to admit to bad behaviors. So don't you think these numbers could be higher? I mean, an example, I'm looking at a graphic that shows the answers to the question, how attentive do you think you are while you're driving? Always, never was 41%. Very frequently, rarely was 50%. So most of the people on your survey are lying about that question. (laughs) Or (laughs) they, they may be lying. They may be overstating. One of the things that's interesting about distracted driving is it it creates this thing called an inattentional blindness. And it's this blindness of distraction that basically makes you unaware of the things around you, except for what you're focusing on. The really insidious part of inattentional blindness is that you're completely unaware that you're blind. It's not like somebody's put a blindfold on your, on your eyes and you're like, oh, I can't see anything. I'm blind. You actually believe that you can see things that are going on around you while you're distracted. There's, uh, we replicated the results from this famous psychology experiment called the invisible gorilla. And what you do is uh, you give the, uh, the watchers a task um, for them to do something. And while they're focused on counting how many times the, a basketball has been passed back and forth, they take a person in a gorilla suit and have them walk across the screen of vision and about 50% of uh, people who take this task never see the gorilla. And most of them express uh, disbelief and outrage uh, when they're told that they missed uh, a gorilla walking across the screen. Um, so I fully believe that many of those people who responded, I'm never distracted, are completely unaware that they are distracted while they're driving. Is it similar, you think, to there's a, there's a phenomenon when you go and buy a car or you're interested in buying a specific car, then your brain is only trained on seeing those cars while you're driving. It's almost a similar effect where you have your phone, you have some kind of distraction in your car, and your brain is trained to only pay attention to that and not pay attention to the act of driving. Right, right. I think this, I've heard this happen to people who buy Jeeps. Uh, like once you have a Jeep, you pretty much only see Jeeps on the road. Um, yeah, when you've got that focus um, and you're, you're primed to see those things, then you're going to see them first. Um, and then some of the other makes and models in your example are going to fall away from your uh, attention. 
I'm speaking to Doug Milnes. He's the head of marketing and communications as well as data analytics for MoneyGeek.com. You can read more about what we're talking about on MoneyGeek.com as well as get a uh, get right to it by the link that's in the description of the show right here. We're talking about distracted drivers and some new fa- safety features of, uh, of cars, and maybe that technology will be able to save us. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I, I do think that all, all of these distractions, whether it's somebody, you know, talking to somebody in the car or fiddling with the radio or fiddling with your phone, because I, I was just uh, I, a couple episodes ago, I talked about how I was reinstated with my lifetime subscription of XM radio after a lawsuit. And I'm just so excited about having my XM radio again after 10 years. And so I've been fiddling with that darn thing in my in, in the car because I want to listen to different radio stations, right? So I, I that it's a distraction, though, from what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know I'm I, what I'm supposed to be doing. But I'm uh, and, and it's and it's not just a a, a dangerous uh, behavior while for the people that are around me while I'm driving, but for the people who are outside the car, because a lot of people are getting hurt, getting killed outside of a car, pedestrians because of our distractions. That's right. Our reporting uh, that we get gathered from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration includes people outside the car that are that are hurt. Um, you know, whether you're hitting another car or you manage, uh, you accidentally hit a pedestrian, um, those deaths are there. About 3,140 uh, distracted driving related deaths were reported in 2019. Um, that's about 14% of all fatal accidents. Uh, one thing I'll note about the reporting on distracted driving is it's very hard to tell compared to say uh, drunk driving where you can give someone a breathalyzer uh, check their blood alcohol levels. You know, in distracted driving, it's hard to tell whether someone was looking at their phone ahead of time, ahead of time, or they managed to glance down, um, you know, at their GPS when they, you know, ran into the tree or, or whatever it may be. So there's there's belief, uh, particularly for distracted driving advocates, that these numbers are underreported. Uh, similarly, national the National Safety Council uh, reports that more than 700 accidents per day. These are not the fatal ones are distracted driving related. You know, there's tons of people looking at their phones, not paying attention, getting into, you know, fender benders are worse uh, just because they're they're not eyes on the road, mind on the road. Yeah, I think that's what it is more than anything. It's it's the mind on the road more, obviously the eyes as well. But, but it, it, is it maybe a time to look at distracted driving as a drunk driving? Is it time to raise the fines to $10,000 for a ticket if you if you are seen using your phone while you're driving? Like you, you, you hear the commercials about how a, a DUI can cost you $10,000 or more because of all the fines and the fees and the penalties and losing your license. Is it time to maybe start looking at, at higher fines? If, if I got fined $10,000 for using my phone while I'm driving, I'm not going to be doing it. Yeah. Yes. Um, absolutely. Uh, in in 48 states, there are laws against distracted driving. Um, in many of them, they're a primary offense, which means that a, a police officer could pull you over uh, if they catch you uh, doing those things. When I take a look at, pardon me, I'm just going to take a look here at the, the rates here. If you have an accident, whether it's distracted driving or not, you know, your annual auto insurance premiums are going to increase somewhere in the in the realm of $700 to $800, depending on what state you're living in. Uh, and that's going to last with you for, you know, five years plus. Um, so again, you're talking about uh, a cost to you in that $10,000 range. But I don't think there's the same level of awareness on the on the drunk driving side, which is, you know, has been a 
Uh, we've been advocating for drunk driving related laws and penalties and, you know, building awareness since the 80s. Um, and that, that hasn't happened. So I, I think you're right. I think there's a it's a time to really get people more and more aware about distracted driving and, and how and how you're, uh, you know, kind of in the realm of a, of a drunk driver when you're uh, when you are distracted. Yeah. And, and not just uh, maybe the awareness, like an awareness campaign, but but. As I said, the the fines are, are really what drive people's behavior. Because if I know that I'm going to get a speeding ticket, and the higher I go, the more the speeding ticket is. Right? If I'm getting a speeding ticket that's twenty bucks, eh, so what? I'm going to go ten miles an hour over, and I don't really care. If the speeding ticket is a thousand dollars, I now you got my attention. Right. Right. I think there's room for this. There's there's definitely room for policy changes that, you know, make this behavior more costly to drivers so they'll they'll think twice about it. Let's get to that question that I asked at the beginning of our conversation. And I'm talking to Doug Milnes. He's the head of data, data analytics as well as head of marketing and communications for moneygeek.com. So let's get to that question. Can technology save us from our technology? We talked about Tesla's and their self-driving features. Is that going to be what leads us away from being distracted from our phones? So it's interesting. There's some early um, research that showed with a with a. I'm going to take a quick second because we were on the podcast. We get to talk about the whole study. What they did is they did two separate studies, um, both in Virginia, and they gave drivers a uh, a car that has some of these self-driving features like automatic braking and uh, you know lane centering assisting. Those types of things that are, you know, if you think about a Tesla and self-driving, there's actually a bunch of discrete features that add up there, right? Automatic, uh, adaptive cruise control, lane centering, those those individual features turn into a self-driving car. Um, so they gave drivers uh, cars with those features. They also took another group of drivers that already had cars with those features, and they put more observation, uh, you know, sensors in the car, including cameras that looked at where the, the driver was looking and what they were doing. And they found for the drivers that had already owned a car with uh, self-driving related technologies, that when those technologies were engaged, they became 50% more likely to become distracted. You know, they were starting to kind of offload the, the work of driving to their car um, and becoming more distracted. The group that uh, had never owned a, you know, was was given a car that had these features. They uh, they were more likely to become distracted when they were driving the car manually. It was sort of like they were maybe a little uncomfortable with the feature and were really trying to, you know, really understand how this thing worked. Um, but there is something here that says there's evidence that when people become confident in how those self-driving features work, they tend to offload even more responsibility to the to the car and the technology um, to, you know, drive the car. Um, so more distraction. That's interesting that you say that because I, I it brings me to, I don't mean to go potty talk, but in the bathroom, a lot of people bring their phone because while they're supposed to be doing one thing, they want to spend that time because God forbid they actually spend any time just looking at a wall for two minutes. They bring in their phone so they can do something else because you're always having to do one or two or three or four things at the same time. So when you're in your car and your car is doing some tasks for you, then you are naturally going to go, I have to go check my phone because there's an email or there's a something that I have to check and I'm just going to do it real quick. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fine while I do this. 
by the way, that just grosses me out. Uh, <laughs> I never, I, uh, whenever I see people handling their phones, I kind of, you know, I'm thinking like, that's the grossest part of uh, what people have, right? Like that's, you don't watch that after you go to the bathroom. Um, I think I've seen studies where the phone is probably the most dirty thing that you have that and, and purses, right? Cause you're always touching. Now, maybe nowadays because people are uh, always using the sanitizer, maybe it's a little bit cleaner now and people are more uh, separated from each other. Uh, but no. And you know, we were, we were talking earlier also about some of those uh, numbers. I'll, I'll get back to this technology thing in just a second, but it just reminded me about uh, the, you know, the year 2020 when, when obviously the, the shutdown happened, traffic stopped. However, traffic speeds came up. And I was just talking to the state patrol the other day about how people are still driving like they were a year ago when we had wide open highways. We have people going 100 miles an hour in 60 mile an hour zones, and they're causing more wrecks and more of these wrecks are fatal. And so it'll be interesting to see what the data is, your latest data uh, from the National Transportation Highway Safety Administration was back in 2019. So 2020 numbers will be really interesting to see. It'll be fascinating. That that data usually comes out, uh, I think, either September or December. So when it comes, we'll take a look at it and kind of have some interesting things to say about, you know, fatality rates and and what happens. Like, it, is the rate versus say miles vehicle miles traveled uh, elevated or or not, or you know what happens there? Right. You know, back to the technology. Neither of my cars. They're older. Two twenty fourteen and a twenty thirteen. Neither of them have that lane assist feature. That, that, that is one of those safety features that is, you could put it into that self-driving technology because you can let go of the wheel and the car knows when you're getting close to that line and will nudge you back. It, I, I had it on a rental car, oh, back maybe a year or so ago. And honestly, I didn't like it. I, it, it felt like any moment the car was going to overcorrect once we hit that uh, hit the line and, and I was going to go shooting off the highway at, at breakneck speed. So uh, there are sometimes that this technology, at least for me right now, I, I don't quite trust it. I, I, I hear you on that. Uh, my, one of my cars has a uh, lane, lane keeping assist, which is basically when you're getting to the edge of the lane, it's going to kind of pull you back a little bit. Um, and so good news, bad news, you know, if, if I'm, you know, talking to the kids, cause every once in a while, you gotta yell at everybody to be a little bit quiet back there. Um, you know, I have felt it take me into another lane or take me, you know, off the edge of the lane. Um, and it's what I think is really interesting about that technology versus one that's a little bit further along where you put like lane center keeping, which is basically like, it's going to keep you in the center of the lane. It's not going to jolt you back is that feels really interruptive. You're really like driver and car trying to work together here. Um, and sometimes you're not agreeing with each other uh, versus the, the center keeping is, is the one that's gonna kind of keep you more in the center of the lane um, and combine with cr cruise control to give you kind of more of those sort of Tesla self-driving features where you're, you're even more not, not <laughs> uh, to make a joke, not in the driver's seat. You, you know, you, you uh, in the survey, that you can read right now from the link that's in the description of the show uh, or on moneygeek.com. Most of the drivers, 63%, believe that newer self-driving safety features increase safety while you're in the car. Right. But 
you say, or at least in the in the survey, it says that experts are cautiously optimistic about them. Why are they cautiously optimistic? Uh, they are cautiously optimistic because they are experts. I, they tend to wait for the data to play out. They're looking for studies that show, you know, gosh, these technologies really do make a difference. Or, you know, maybe we'll see it in the auto insurance premiums over time where, you know, cars with these types of technologies get a, a lower auto insurance, you know, rates because they are, in fact, uh, safer. Um, many of these technologies that we've implemented over the last couple of years have, you know, from an auto insurance premium perspective, I think this is really interesting is that since they make the car more costly and complicated, um, the cost to repair the car has increased. Um, and so even if there are some safety savings, you know, uh, from fender benders and, and whatnot, when they do happen, they're more costly. So like, you know, repairing your fender now, if it's got, you know, you know, the back, the backup sensors or a camera, it's going to be a much more expensive repair than just uh, repairing a normal fender. So you haven't seen those premiums change, but maybe if you've got one of these technologies that it is really keeping you safer, you're going to see those, you know, premiums come down. And I think um, auto insurers are going to be the ones who can tell us the most about whether those features are safe, because they're going to see, you know, thousands of drivers and millions of drivers even, you know, moving around in their day-to-day -day lives and they'll be able to find out, you know, on a on averages, you know, are these cars actually safer, safer or not? After you control for all these other variables, they know all about us, right? Whether it's our prior driving history or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I think that's really interesting. And that's why experts are tentatively uh, or cautiously optimistic. Uh, they've seen a little bit of information that says, yeah, you know, they do make a difference. And particularly on the distraction side, you know, if, if the car is, doesn't ever get distracted and it's driving for you, um, that, that could be a good thing. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see, uh, we're, even though this technology seems so much further along than it was just a couple of years ago, I remember when the, the first Tesla came out with the self-driving features and it was like, what is this magic? Uh, and now we're we're at a place where it's in more cars. It's not just in Teslas. It can be in Acuras. It can be in you know Fords. Um, and so so now as this technology becomes more and more prevalent, I think we're going to really start to see some more larger studies that tell us whether or not these technologies are making a difference. Yeah, I think the first time we saw it was in other cars, not just a Tesla, but it would park itself in a parallel parking spot. Um, and that was revolutionary for a lot of folks because they just can't do that. Um, but you also mentioned that these insurance companies are, it could be uh, adjusting their rates because, I mean, you, you think about these insurance companies are going to have to figure out and fight to see who is responsible in a crash like the one we mentioned at the top of the uh, segment here, where nobody was in the driver's seat and two people died in this crash. So who's responsible? The person that was in the car, the person that should have been driving in the car, the Tesla, the owners of Tesla, the the, the company that, that that came up with the software. I mean, who is responsible in a situation like that? That's a that's a great question, and I'm I'm sure we're going to have more of those types of situations uh, where the law is going to tell us something more about you know who is responsible for those things, and you know what is it for an automaker that is saying we're going to become in effect, responsible for your driving in some ways, um, you know, is that a bigger legal liability than 
uh, I'm going to provide a car with safety features in it uh, like it is today. Uh, I'm not really sure yet. I'm speaking with Doug Milnes. He's the head of data analytics as well as the head of marketing and communications at moneygeek.com. Do you, do you, you probably need more titles, right? Because you're going <laughs> to... <laughs> and you'll probably take the take the paycheck with it, right? Uh, will <laughs> will it be the automakers like Tesla? Will it be other automakers that are going to be pushing the envelope, getting us to automated future uh, features, or is it going to be uh, the customers, the people who are driving these cars, clamoring for things, so they they feel that they they can uh, drive maybe a little bit safer maybe be able to look at their phone while the car is doing the driving? Is it going to be the consumer that's pushing this or the automakers that are pushing these features? Sure. I think that the consumers are are interested. You know, um, the survey that you mentioned, that said 63 indicated that they felt these technologies make drivers safer. Um, and there's actually a generational component there. Uh, you know, younger individuals, uh, Gen Z, younger millennials, are have the highest rates of of feeling that so you know when i when i take when we took a look at the generational side of it hold on let me just grab the stat um we saw that the 74 percent of gen z drivers felt that self-driving features made drivers safer um and then when we look out to boomers um they show less confidence in these features and uh only 52 percent of them feel that these features you know make drivers safer um so definitely as as these younger uh, generations uh, have earn higher buying power and they become the primary car buyers, I think these features are going to become uh, more and more uh, prominent and a, a bigger part of the um, what the consumer is looking for, and then in return what the uh, car companies are marketing. Um, you know, and I just thinking back to what we were just talking about, I think that those technologies and who's responsible type of questions, they're still gonna land on the driver and the individuals who are getting in the cars, um, you know, based on our system of laws. And, but I think that uh, companies have a higher risk and they're more likely to land in a, you know, get, get beat up in a court of public opinion or, um, you know, kind of negative uh, branding if they have features that are not working or they, they do get people into accidents. Um, you know, when we think about um, cars that in the past had real big problems, you know, those those poor and faulty and poor quality cars, those brands are tarnished. And, you know, even even cars that were lemons coming off the lines that were lemons in the, even the 70s or 80s are, can still be thought of as, you know, less quality than others. Um, so it's, it's going to be really important for the uh, auto manufacturers to maintain the quality of these types of features and make sure that they're kind of really maintaining those brands because they can really uh, be a downward, uh, you know, a, a negative <laughs> adverse business impact to them. Right. And I, I still have in my head the Ford Pinto that could explode if you run into it. There, There is the uh, the old saying about it's not a Ford Explorer, it's a Ford Exploder. Um, and so, yeah, th that, those names stick with cars and stick with brands for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, and you and going back quickly to when you were talking about the younger generation that were basically born with a phone in their hand, maybe they have a, a better ability to uh, uh, drive with their phone and be able to check things a, a, and still drive at the same time compared to 
an older driver who maybe isn't as used to it. I was talking to my father-in-law who we were trying to set up a, uh, you know, one of the, just a, just a FaceTime call. And he's like, you, you guys are, are, I'm only 20 years younger than him, but he's still going, you know, you guys are so good with that technology and I have no idea what you're doing. And, and, and my daughter, I mean, they're, they, they are wizards on the phones. Yeah, certainly, um, potentially have more skill moving back and forth between different tasks and kind of getting there. But uh, many studies have shown that there's no, there's no such thing as, you know, doing two things at once. Um, our brains are designed to do one thing at a time. And even if we're taking our, our, our brains off of the road, um, that means we are not aware. Um, and again, that insidious thing is that when you're not aware because you're not paying attention, you can't tell that you're not aware. Um, and so that's, that's just a, you know, a really tough thing. You can really get some overconfidence, um, at any age, um, thinking that, oh yeah, like I, I do it all the time. It works out fine. And I totally pay attention. Like nothing's ever happened. Um, but the reality is, is when you, when you look at the research and the studies, like you are not paying attention and therefore you're blind. Um, I was doing a little uh, calculation. It was sort of like, how many feet do you go at 60 miles an hour? And if you're, you know, how many football fields is that? And so you go 88 feet per second uh, when you're driving 60 miles an hour. So if you take your eyes off the road, um, you know, just for the, you know, 100 yards, right? That's like, you know. You've made a touchdown. <laughs> You've you've driven the length of a football field without knowing it. Yeah, um, that's pretty amazing, uh, and it, it can be scary, right? And again, like <laughs> the thing that just is so amazing to me is that people are unaware, right? Like you, you know, you or I could have done that in the last week while driving, and we wouldn't have known. Well, and, and I know sometimes I, uh, my mind will drift off, and and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't even remember passing that exit that I was supposed to get off at just a minute ago. It's uh, that that maybe it's the drowsiness or the tiredness that that we all face. Um, but yeah, no, it's even just the distraction of your mind wandering if you're not looking at something can be a, a huge problem. Right, right. Um, I guess one of the last points on the um, on the survey on the self driving stuff that I thought was interesting is that. Um, 42% of drivers felt that these technologies make drivers complacent. So they're not, they're not quite wrong based on the, the research, right? They're, they're aware that these technologies, you know, could make you more complacent because you're just, you're handing over, since you're handing over more control to the, to the car, you decide that you're going to become less attentive because um, it's not, you know, it's not your job anymore, which is surprising. What do you hope people will do with this information from this survey from Money Geek? I I really hope that uh, people will think about distracted driving and how it can be a variety of different things and how it's how hard it is to tell that you're distracted. So you know, just plan ahead a little bit before you get in the car. Like, pick a place for your phone to go while you're driving. Is it in your console? Is it like do do you just chuck it over the back into the back seat um, so it's just out of the way? Just just reminding yourself that, um, you know, there's so much that you can miss while you're not paying attention. And um, we always love that little dopamine hit of, oh, you know, my phone dinged. It could be something awesome. Um, so, like, control that in instinct by uh, putting the phone in a place 
or or turning it off or just doing something so that you're not going to get those little like cues for you to go look at your phone. That's probably the worst part of it is is when you get the in inbound cue like is this a text from somebody should I respond now um, where you're trying to make a decision while you're also driving. Um, those are the places where where things are are not good. Um, so make a plan for your phone. Be careful when you're driving, and remember that you know you there's an illusion of attention that uh, you kind of always need to fight against a little bit when you're driving. Pandemic traffic. I have to ask you as as we're wrapping up here. Uh, I obviously I I've been following this for the last year how traffic dipped and then it came back in the summer big time and then it actually dipped again and then now it's coming back. It's coming roaring back. As more vaccinations are out there, as more businesses like mine are bringing people back, how do you see traffic and uh, folks on the roads? How do you see it building here in the next this year? Next, you know, are, are we? I mean, we were basically at record levels and right before the, the the shutdown. So, do you see traffic returning back to that kind of normalcy? Absolutely. I also think that there's likely to be some pent up demand. Um, you know, the traffic did come back last summer. Um, but I still think that there were a, a number of people out there who deferred things like road trips um, and those, you know, those summer trips that they they usually take or they want to take. And I don't know about you, but I want to get out of this house. Um, <laughs> yes. So, you know, I, we have a plan We're we're taking a trip uh, next week for a long weekend. I think there's a ton of people who are trying to get out, trying to get out of their state um, or get to some somewhere else. Um, so I, I think that the summer is going to have a big surge in, in driving. Um, and, you know, as as those driving rates go up, things like distracted driving fatalities also go up because it's sort of like a numbers game. Um, and also, you know, that other one, uh, DUI, also tends to rear its head in the, in the summer months as well. Again, as more miles are driven or more individuals are out and having a good time with friends and uh, make a poor decision on their, you know, way to get home. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting summer and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out over the next couple of months. And then I think they'll, um, you know, after that demand gets through, it's likely that things will kind of turn back into the trend line that we've seen, um, over the years. If you're trying to rent a car, I would say do it now and try to find as any kind of discount you can, because they are super expensive, ridiculous expensive, like 200 or 250 a day for a rental car. Yeah, no, it is brutal. Yeah, no, there's a lot of pent-up demand. We're doing a couple of baton trips because I have the competitive baton twirlers to the hot spot of Enid, Oklahoma here in June. Oh, that, uh, whew, that'll be that, that'll be living large right there. I mean, flying into Oklahoma City and then driving the hour up to Enid, that, that'll be great. I think I think you're in for a great time. <laughs> Thanks for that vote of confidence. <laughs> uh, Doug Milnes, he's the head of marketing communications as well as data analytics at moneygeek.com. If you want to read more about this, you sure can. It's uh, The link is right there on the description of this show. Just click that and it'll take you right to it. Doug, thanks again for being here on the show. Appreciate all the insights and uh, be well this summer. Hey, pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Jason. Again, you can read that study. Uh, the link is right there in the description of this show, and it gives a lot of information about distracted driving and uh, some of the thoughts about automated driving technology. And it's a, it's a pretty interesting study if you want to read more about that. Next week, I'm going to be uh, talking to our crack reporter for Denver 7 News, Russell Haythorn. Now, Russell was presented this story, and he, and he just uh, did it as a Denver 7 360. It's this proposal by the state of Colorado 
and it's called the Employer-Based Trip Reduction Program. Basically, it's a plan to require large businesses of over 100 employees to reduce how many people are coming to work alone in their car. There's a lot of rules to this whole thing, and I, I think there's a lot of privacy issues to this whole uh, idea. It, it's a really controversial plan, and there's a lot of rules involved, so Russell's going to be able to unpack it for us. I'll, I'll talk about the entire plan so we can uh, know about it. We'll read it together, and then uh, Russell will help unpack it, and we'll get into it with him and his reporting on this issue next time. Talk about what it is, what it isn't, and uh, how, if it could be coming to uh, could, coming to your town. That will be on the next episode of The Big Show, which will be episode number 200. This is episode 199. I can't even believe it. Well, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.